Welcome to Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have deep conversations with fellow freelance models. Today, I have Jade on the line. Say hello. Hi, Christy. It's really great to meet you. You also, to meet you over the phone, and hopefully we will meet each other in person sometime too. Yeah, hopefully I hear you coming up to Seattle soon, so maybe we can get together sometime then. Yeah, yeah. I do try to visit Seattle a few times a year. I'll be there in December for a little bit into January, and then I'll hopefully be back in the summertime also. Awesome. Because your summers are really nice. They are. They are. I personally am a winter person, so I like the cold a little bit. I don't like being cold, but I like the feeling that it has and the crispness of the air. Nice. You know, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I was just creeping on your Instagram page right before we started this. And I noticed that you have, you've got a, like a large variety of genres of modeling photos on there. And some of them are really like beautiful, pretty, but a lot of them are also kind of like edgy and dark. So I guess that winter part of your personality really shows. Yeah, I really like doing a lot of moody stuff. And I like to bring that moody element to any type of genre I do, whether it's fine art, kind of vintage vibes, or even with my boudoir work. I like it to be a little more true to how I am in real life and not as posy and oversaturated with joy. (laughs) Not that I'm not a happy person, but I feel like it's more relatable to me and hopefully more relatable to the people that view my art. Are you originally from Seattle? Did you grow up there? Yes. Yes. I've been here my whole life. I did move bedrooms when my sister was born, but I have been born and raised here and I love exploring the state a lot. I explore a lot with my family because my sister is a photographer. So a lot of my favorite work is stuff that we've made together, kind of exploring different parts of the state and doing a lot of urbex. That's rad. I don't know if you know this, but I'm also originally from Seattle too. I think I did. I th- You're from Renton area, I believe, right? Well, I grew up in Kenmore and I have lived in Renton a lot lately. Like the last apartment that I was renting before I started van life was in Renton. Oh, cool. I'm uh, more south, so I'm about maybe an hour from Mount Rainier. Oh. It it takes like 30 minutes to get from the freeway to where I live. Okay. So you are out there. Yeah, I usually have to tell people, I'm like, hey, like, can we commute and meet like halfway so it's not as much driving since it has to take a bit for me to just get to normal civilization from where I live. Have you done many shoots out like at Mount Rainier National Park? I've actually have only done one at Mount Rainier. Uh, I tend to find a lot of smaller little parks and kind of hidden gems that people don't know about. That's cool. And then a lot of urban exploring, which is very hard in Washington because we don't have that rich history that the East Coast has with a lot of historical buildings. And then when you do find a good place, it usually has been torn down after I shoot there like once or twice. Yeah, I have noticed that about the Washington, Western Washington also. There's not as many cool abandoned places to shoot in. They're just harder to find. There's less of them. 
Yeah, there is the insane asylum up north, but ironically, I have never shot there. And to my knowledge, it's one of the only public abandoned places that actually encourage people to come. Usually I'm bad and trespass or occasionally I have gotten permission <laughs> from owners. But I, you, I've you had know, very few bad experiences. I have been to that one. Is it called the Northern State Asylum? I think so. I've heard it be called that. And I've also have heard it referred to as Western State. Oh, I don't know if Western State is the same one. I know that that's also another one that you can explore. But this is the one that's, is it in Cedro Woolley? Or? Yeah, that one. Okay. And I, I think there's different parts. Like there's parts that are cooler looking that are a little harder to access. And then I think the buildings that are more easily accessible are just more like stripped down barns from what I've seen on the internet. Yeah. I, interestingly, back in the day when I used to drink a lot with a group of my friends invaded that property, I don't know, in like 2010 or something like that. So I know I've been there, but I haven't shot there, but it would be cool to shoot there. Yeah. I've been wanting to go up, but it's just a matter of wanting to make the drive. Yeah. Right. For you, that would be a really long drive. Yeah. Usually we head more south, like towards Olympia and Portland area, kind of heading that way on those back roads to find the places that we have shot at. That's cool. So you've got the wintry, moody vibes. Something about like Washington State in general that I've learned that, not that I've studied, but I've kind of heard is that Seattle and Western Washington has some of the highest percentage of people who are depressed and that one of the highest suicide rates in the country. Have you noticed that also? I have noticed that. I actually semi-recently lost someone I know in the art world from suicide. So it's actually been kind of hard for me this past month. But I noticed that a lot of people are sad. And in a weird way, I've kind of noticed on the internet that there's been a lot of romanticizing of depression and other mental illnesses. Yeah. And I kind of don't know how I feel about it. I feel like it's helpful for the people that are already experiencing it, but I'm hoping that it's not drawing more people to put themselves in those places just because a TikTok made it seem like romanticized. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of dark music with like Alice in Chains and all that that come out of there that when you're listening to it, you're like, oh, man, this is so dark and heavy, but like people vibe to it. Yeah, it's it's sad music. That's all I listen to. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry about the loss of your friend. And I also recently lost a friend who is from Seattle, who is a musician to that as well. So but on a lighter note, a lot of artists are inspired by those sorts of dark and moody vibes, which is what I was trying to segue into. And it's just, it's kind of a different sort of a vibe artistically than most of the rest of the country. And I've noticed a lot of people love Halloween, which is in a couple of days. (laughs) There's a lot of people that I remember really, really love like the dark spooky vibes of Halloween and like coming up with photo shoot ideas. Have you done quite a bit of that? So it's super funny because my sister does not like scary at all. She'll do 
usually one scary shoot for me a year, but I have seen a lot of people hosting open shoots, looking for models for scary stuff. I haven't done any quite yet this year. I think the scariest I've done was last weekend. I just did some abandoned house stuff and there were some where I looked like I was screaming or like that something was like kind of creeping out of the corner, but nothing crazy with fake blood. I'm actually allergic to red food coloring. So my fake blood is usually chocolate sauce or barbecue sauce. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it works just as well. I don't know if it's better because it does, the barbecue sauce was kind of disgusting. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like being drenched in it and smelling it very intensely while I think I was wearing a lingerie and a leather jacket when I did that one. Oh man, you got, did you get barbecue sauce all over your lingerie? A little bit. It was kind of like a serial killer American psycho vibe where I had like the knife and then the second part of the shoot was me in the shower cleaning off quote unquote the blood aka barbecue sauce. Oh my god, that is so Pacific Northwest. Circular vibes. I should probably change the topic because some of my listeners might be like, "What the heck, are you crazy Seattle girls talking about?" But I mean, a lot of a lot of serial killers came from the Pacific Northwest, also. It is. It is. And uh, there's like sometimes where I'm like, I'm surprised that I have not met anyone that has like encountered someone like recently. My dad actually briefly worked with the Green River Killer. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's kind of weird. He came up to my dad and he was at the vending machine and grabbed him by the neck and was asking him if he ever goes camping. And it was kind of weird. And looking back on it, my dad's like, I wonder if he was asking me to see if I like hang out in the areas where he, all the dead bodies were being found. Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. years later, when he found out that he was a mass murderer, he was like, oh, yeah, that guy always was kind of weird. He freaked me out a little bit. One time he grabbed me by the neck, and I was like, what? Whoa, dude. That's intense. Yeah, but I'm I'm surprised I have – not that I want to or that I hope to, but I'm surprised I haven't met anyone in the photography community specifically that has, like, encountered – that or have had experiences that were serial killer vibes you know sometimes i like am suspicious of somebody with their intentions or just their odd behavior especially because the pacific northwest is known to have more of that kind of activity yeah and it's all the big ones all the famous ones have some type of time i didn't even know i never knew that ted bundy like briefly lived here and i was like oh my gosh he's from here too yeah And what I have deduced that this might be attributed to is that there's less sun up there in general and people get seasonal affective disorder because they're not getting the right amount of vitamin D from the sun and then having a deficiency in that can cause depression. And I suppose that some people who are depressed end up becoming serial killers. Yeah. Also, we have great fog here, which is awesome for photos, but you you can just picture the serial killers walking through that fog. 
oh my god <laughs> um so like serial killers and depression aside um i would like to hear how you first got into modeling like what your first shoot was like and then how your modeling has progressed to lead you to where you are today yeah so i first started modeling back in 2015 when i was 16 years old and i originally wanted to be an actress and i thought that modeling might be like a good segue into it but then i realized that modeling is kind of like a scene and you're acting a character and i always like to view photos as a paused movie scene that's why I like a lot of cinematic elements in my photos but I did a couple shoots. I was a part of not SOS, but some Facebook group and had connected with a couple photographers. And one of my first shoots was actually on a film camera, which is another reason why my usernames everywhere is Jade on Film because I was originally shot on rolls of film. Cool. And then I was briefly signed with a modeling agency. And it ended up being like a super sketchy scam agency. They never took any of my money, which is good. I wasn't scammed for money, but it definitely was not what they were selling. And oddly enough, so the manager of the studio of the agency, his studio was a storage locker and it was the last one. And there was woods like nearby and me and a few of the models that were in that agency that I still talk to today have joked about how it's crazy that none of us were murdered. Oh my God. <laughs> because it's so sketchy. We were literally modeling in a storage locker by the woods. That is creepy. What a weird situation. And when I was first modeling too, I bumped into some of these Craigslist scams that were posing as agencies also. I wonder if we ended up talking to the same people <laughs> yeah it was it was a little weird not much ever happened I had one paid shoot when I was with them but I was only with them for a year I got out my senior year of high school and that's kind of when I really started deep diving into the modeling really intensely I used to be a competitive figure skater before modeling and when I retired from that is when I really leaned into creating art because I was just lacking that creative expression that I got from skating and I needed an outlet to do that. And modeling really became that for me. And I just started checking off bucket list concepts and going to places that I wanted to shoot at. And it, it became a part of me. I definitely also use it for socialization. I work remotely. So I try to have a shoot at least once a week so that way I'm talking to people, making new friends, and just having that in-person interaction. That's cool. Yeah, I found that my favorite way of engaging with new people is also through creativity. Yeah, I mean, it's great when you have awesome photos from a shoot, but sometimes being on set with the person and the process of creating and getting to know someone is just as fun, sometimes even more fun than the photos you get back. Yeah, I, I can dig that too. And, and one thing that I've said that I'll always say is, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, it's not fun to be forced doing shoots that you don't want to do or working with people that you don't want to work with and, and just hating it. I know a lot of people, things that they love end up becoming things that they hate. And I don't want modeling to 
be that. And there's been a few times where I feel like I've been starting to go down that path and I just kind of redirect and rethink about what kind of art I want to be making and how I want to make that art. That's really interesting. Can you elaborate on that little a little bit? Like what kind of shoots have you like found yourself doing where you wanted to divert away from it? So it wasn't as much shoots, but more so people. I don't like being micromanaged on set. Uh, yeah. I Since I came from figure skating, I kind of danced through my poses. And it's more of a seamless like flow of movement as I pose. And so when people are kind of getting in the way of that seamless flow and telling me, turn your hand three quarters, turn your angle your head this way and micromanaging the whole shoot. Not just like, I understand there's moments where they have a specific shot or I might be slightly off from where they are shooting and the angle slightly wrong. But I've worked with a few people where the whole shoot is them telling me what to do. And it mm-hmm. gets kind of, it gets kind of irritating. You're like, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing. Like, just let me do my thing. Yeah, totally understandable. And then I think the other thing is just working with people that you're not having a positive experience and there's just kind of like a negative vibe or a lot of complaining or a little too much negative personal life sharing on set. That's always uncomfortable and you don't really know what to do, especially if you are just meeting that person and don't know them that well. Yeah, I have actually felt this a lot. And I think that my happiness in my modeling generally is trying to find the types of shoots that are more positive and then like not redo, not reworking with somebody who brought a lot of negative energy to the shoot because I didn't feel good about it. Yeah, or even people that there's a lot of strings attached to the shoot about how you have to post or don't post this, but you can post this, or I haven't worked with them, but someone I know worked with a photographer that told them that they had to post photos from their shoot within two weeks after the shoot. Otherwise they were going to blacklist them. And that was crazy. I'm like, what if I worked with that person and I didn't think the photos aligned with this type of stuff I'm posting into my feed. I don't want to be forced of how my profile should look. Yes, I have experienced not exactly that. Not I haven't been blacklisted, but I've definitely been like completely attacked by a photographer in Seattle actually who was pissed that I didn't post his totally out of focus photos. <laughs> yeah, and I think people sometimes forget that models don't post all of their work and that their shoots that may never see the internet, at least on their feed. Yeah, true. I mean, I don't even post everything that I shoot of myself because if I don't feel like the world needs to see it or it doesn't meet social media, community guidelines or whatever, I'm not posting it. Yeah, and then sometimes there's that oversaturation of a really awesome shoot and there were so many good photos that you completely neglect some of them and you find them years later and you're like, why did I not share this? This photo is amazing. I suck. Yeah, (laughs) I get that too. So you started modeling via acting when you were 16. You really liked the cinematic style of photography and pursued more into modeling. And then from there, it seems that you have since then been 
focusing your modeling towards shoots that you truly enjoy. So I think that's really great. I think that a lot of people listening can take notes on that because so many of us freelancers, whether we're models or photographers or whatever, we try to just chase the money or try to find things that we think we're supposed to do that make us look legit or earn us more money that kind of suck our soul out at the same time. But it's really refreshing to hear from somebody who has kind of dabbled in all of those arenas and learned through that experience to pull back and only do things that fill up your creative cup, not drain you. Yeah. And there's been a few gigs that I've gotten that were really nice and good paying and with people that I really respected and enjoyed their work. And they found me through my Instagram and what I was posting. And it was that vibe versus me putting myself out there and applying for gigs that I don't really want to do. And then if I do get them, end up hating it and being miserable and just seeing it as a paycheck. Yeah. And it sounds like you mentioned that you work remotely. You might also have other sources of income that allow you to say no to a lot of types of shoots that you might not want to do. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I I definitely don't make a bunch of money from modeling. It's more my passion project, my hobby. And then when I do get money, that's just an added bonus. But then the money always goes back into the modeling because I love investing in my wardrobe and investing in what I can bring to the to the shoot. So that way, when people do book me, they're getting more than just me. They're getting amazing accessories. They're getting ethical fashion from I do a lot of vintage, but I also support a lot of local designers as well in buying their pieces. Sweet. I want to take a short little break to tell you about Model Society. Modelsociety.com is a website dedicated to featuring figurative fine art photography for models and photographers. What makes them different than other portfolio hosting websites is that Some of those other websites will still host kind of tacky photography or exploitative photos. Model Society screens all of their contributors for quality and authenticity. So you only get the best of the best on there. If you're not a photographer or model, you can still enjoy and appreciate Model Society because they also have newsletters and magazines featuring their best work and new articles each week. Check it out, modelsociety.com. I will also include a link to Model Society in the show notes. All right, now back to our show. What are some of your favorite local designers? We could just plug them here on the show real quick. So I love Wallace Style. He is a sweetheart. He's also an amazing makeup artist and model. He can do it all. I was talking to him this morning, actually. He has amazing pieces, though. I have a few jumpsuits, and then I have this semi-sheer ball gown from him as well. And then I also really like Helene Hawthorne gowns. She does a lot of Rococo-style Marie Antoinette dresses, and I have a few of her pieces as well. Sweet. And then for accessories, I have a few crowns and then also the metal claws from the Gilded Apparition. Those are really cool too, because I believe she uses antique pieces to craft these crowns and claws. And she even has like a mouth spreader for like fetish work and mm. a little more out there. I haven't owned one of those, but I did shoot with one and that was really cool. 
Cool. Right on. So uh, across all the times that you've done, like, a various amounts of photo shoots with varieties where you've kind of experimented with genres and what's your vibe and what you like to do. I'm sure that these are sometimes learning processes where sometimes you have to learn the hard way. I'd like to ask you a question that I ask everybody on the show. I call it the photo shoot fail of the week. Doesn't necessarily have to be a fail, but can you tell a story where you had a photo shoot that was crazy for any reason, whether the situation surrounding the photo shoot was crazy or perhaps the photographer themselves is a little crazy. Yeah. So I actually have two for this. So you can tell two if you want. <laughs> yeah. So earlier when I was mentioning the sketch agency that I was a part of for a year, they had a lot of weird photo shoots and just weird things attached to it. So One time we were doing a shoot at a park and all the models were between the ages of 14 to like 17. There might've been one 18 year old, but for the most part, we were all high school girls and the photographer slash agency manager person was rubbing dirt on our faces because he wanted us to look dirty and we were wearing ripped clothes and this mom with her baby in a stroller called the cops on us. And so the cops came, showed up, questioned us, questioned the agency, because it did look sketchy. It was a middle-aged man with a bunch of high school girls rubbing dirt on their faces. Oh, my God. (laughs) And we get through the clear. And so the cops go. They're like, oh, you guys are fine. And then after the cops leave, then we start the shoot. And the concept ended up being that we were supposed to be lesbian prostitutes and doing erotic poses with other high school girls so it was kind of like why did the cops stay oh my god yeah so that was pretty bad and then that agency that also would have like open shoot things where different photographers would come and pay to work with us for said concept and one of the times afterwards we sit all crisscross applesauce talking and we were being asked what we thought about the photographer. And then he ended up saying, yeah, that photographer is actually blacklisted for a lot of things that he's done to models. So I just wanted to know your opinion on him. And it's like, why did you bring someone that's a known predator to shoot with a bunch of underage girls in your storage locker studio? Oh my God. And the thing is, I never got the names of any of these people because the agency would never give us back photos. We were never told the names of the photographers we are working with. So every time I see an old man on Instagram or Facebook, I stalk his page to see if he has photos of me because I've never seen those photos. Oh my God. That is really weird. Whoa. It is. That sounds shady. It was super shady. I'm happy that the agency like doesn't exist anymore, but I'm pretty sure he's still out there doing photo shoots. Oh my but god. If it, if it doesn't exist anymore, can you say the name of it? It was called CDM. CDM. Uh, I haven't heard of it. Yeah, it was, like I said, they didn't do much of anything. We weren't really getting jobs. We would, we would always be told we would get jobs and then they never happened. But it was definitely really shady and sketchy. And then my other story is actually an Urban X story. And it's my only negative experience I've ever had. And I'm so happy it was at the end of the shoot. Otherwise, the shoot probably wouldn't have continued. But 
we were down in the Puyallup Valley area and there's this strip where there was a bunch of abandoned houses. And so we were just walking to various properties. And when we got to the last one, we were doing what I always do when I shoot Urban X and kind of walking the premises, going around the building, looking in the windows. And then I always shout out like, hello, we're here. We're doing photos. We don't have any weapons. Just in case someone is hiding, they know that we're not a threat and that we're not there to do anything bad or wrong. And it was just really eerie because this location was super clean. No dust, no litter, just very sterile feeling. And me and the photographer just had like this creepy feeling. And she was joking, what if we found a dead body? Mm. And it wasn't a person. But when I got to the last shed that was on this property, I walked in the door and I screamed because there was a dead puppy. And it was so recently deceased that it looked like it was still alive. And we freaked out. We called animal control. They told us to call the cops. So we called the cops and waited there until the cops showed up, explained what we were doing. So obviously they're asking, why are you on this abandoned property? And we're like, hey, we're doing pictures. And they weren't mad at that. They were actually really grateful that we called it in. But it ended up being an illegal dog fighting scene that they had been investigating for a few weeks at that point. And they knew it was in the area, but they didn't know where it was happening. And it was at that abandoned location. Yep. And it has since been demolished. But it's near a bunch of fruit stands and produce places. So every time I drive to the produce places, we we would pass the house. Now it's vacant lot, so it's better. But I would pass it and think about the dead puppy. And it was kind of traumatic. Whoa. That's crazy. How did you find out that it was like the the ending of the story of it being like the illegal dog fighting? So when we had called animal control, they told us that there's been some dog fighting stuff going on in the area and that we needed to call the cops to get them involved. And then when the cops came, they were telling us about it. And then we were given the option to give them our phone numbers if we wanted to hear more updates about the dog fighting and I didn't do it because I'm like yeah I'm kind of traumatized by this like I hope that things turn out for the best not these people um get what they deserve for torturing the dogs but the photographer did ask for them to give her updates and she let me know what was going on that's crazy wow I didn't expect that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a person, but that was the I mean, only... that'd be even scarier. <laughs> I know, and I wasn't held at gunpoint. I know a lot of other models have experienced that. Fortunately, it wasn't that, but that was my only negative abandoned experience. Wow. Yeah, I think two people that I interviewed had the gunpoint situation at abandoned. Now, I love abandoned stuff too. Nothing like that, knock on wood, has ever happened to me, but I just know it's probably a matter of time. I've definitely had people that were walking around on the sidewalk come in and be like, oh, what are you guys doing? But nothing bad. (laughs) Yeah, and I think one of the big things is being really safe about doing that. I never do abandoned stuff in cities. And usually I go really far away from civilization where I know there's not going to be people hanging out there because Mm -hmm. it's really far away from everything. But these ones were a little bit closer because it was the produce stands nearby and uh, it was near high school as well. So I don't know who all was involved in the dog fighting scene, but it was a little different than most of the locations that I go to. Usually it's just like farmland and farmhouses in the middle of nowhere. 
Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I would be freaked out too, especially if it was like a recent looking dead puppy. That sucks. I'm really sorry that you had to witness that. That would be traumatic for me as well. Yeah, it was very scary. And it made sense of why everything looked very sterile. Just the fact that they're probably cleaning up the evidence of other Uh, injuries and animal death that had happened at the location because it was white walls and cement floors and it was spotless that's why i was like this is weird this looks like a brand new building why is it abandoned and super clean and we find yeah it it just had eerie vibes (sighs) why do people do that that is so fucked up Damn. Wow. And so that was in Puyallup. Yes. It's no longer there, though. It's been bulldozed. How long ago was that? Oh, gosh. Maybe 2019. I'm wanting to say it was pre-COVID. Okay. 2018, 2019, somewhere around there. Wow. Damn. Well, now that it's 2023 and you've had all these years of experience modeling, where do you want to take it? I I saw on your your page that you have a lot of tear sheets and like magazine publications. Like you've done a lot of really legitimate modeling. And like one thing that I've noticed about a lot of people who have a lot of really amazing work that started their Instagram pages within the last, I don't know, six years or so after a while, Instagram just decided that it didn't want to make it possible for, like, creators that are female that, like, their primary thing is, like, modeling or, like, their appearance or whatever. They just shadow ban the heck out of you, so you can't grow your following. But you do so many amazing things, it's like you should have more natural growth, right? It's just the internet is... Yeah, There was a period where I felt like I was getting a lot of followers in a short period of time and that kind of died down. I think just creating art for myself and continuing to create for myself is always going to be a big priority. I would like to publish another book. I self-published a book for my abandoned housework. Sweet. And I'm thinking I want to do another one, maybe like Pacific Northwest themed or maybe an all black and white one. I've kind of been on the fence. But the one that I did make, I made it in the matter of two nights. So (laughs) I know it won't take that long to put it together. Well, I mean, it was two nights of like me at the computer for eight hours. But to me, it wasn't that long. Yeah, that's awesome. Where do you uh, post your self-published books? So I have a link in my bio and then in my, all my links, I have it linked there as well as on my website, I have a whole little blurb talking about my book, but you can find it on blurb. Technically it is on Amazon, but Amazon marks it up so much. Yeah. And even blurb raise their prices. And because I wanted the hardback and I wanted it to be matte and really pretty and it has over a hundred pages. Yeah. It's very expensive. The copy I bought for myself was $70. So when it's charging people close to 100, I'm technically making maybe $5 per book. Yeah. You just you basically doing it for the love of it unless it becomes like 
virally popular. Yeah, I my thing is I want it to be I want people to see it even if they don't buy it. When people come over, I want them to look at it just because it's really cool and I, I write a lot of little backstories about the locations that I shot at in the book because many of them cool. don't exist anymore. Oh, but wow. I think another book would be really fun and then Big publications are always fun. I have been featured on Vogue and Vogue Italia on their photo Vogue a lot of times, but it would be really nice if they could print me one of these times. But I, I think that's a dream that a lot of people share and yeah. very few people actually achieve. So even if I don't get there, I'm still really grateful for being featured on their website because that's still something that's really surreal and exciting. Do you feel that the publications that you've gotten have improved your career or brought you more work or brought you more traffic to your your page? In a sense. So I have a few people that are international and I don't travel international. I actually don't have a passport, so that's not in the books. I hope to eventually, but there are a few people that have been supporting me from other parts of the world that have found me from me being published in magazines that are based out of other countries. And then also some people, they see it as more like legitness that, oh, she can perform a task, she can get published. And then I know how to do a lot of the publishing and connecting with the magazines. So I uh, will sometimes send photos that the photographers took to the magazines on their behalf. And then my friend who is a model actually asked me to help her get some publications. So I was doing that earlier this week as well. Um, so I like to share a lot of those resources with people. Caviar is a really fun site for the publications. I don't believe in paying to get published. Yeah. So uh, I always do the free option, but I've still been able to be given magazine covers even in doing the free option. And then also it works as a platform to share your work as well. And they don't censor stuff. So you can share all of your non-censored nudes and work on there without the fear of it being taken down or flagged. So that's another reason why I like the Caviar platform as a kind of portfolio photo sharing app outside of using it to get publications. Nice. I have Caviar, but I honestly... I should log into it more often. I almost never log into it. It's really fun. They have an inspiration page where it's kind of like the for you page on other social medias and you can sort by genre and you can even look up photographers that are in your area or in an area that you're traveling to. And so there's been a few people that I've actually worked with by finding them on there versus oh, cool. Instagram because it's really hard to find people that are in a specific area unless you're finding them on a Facebook group or clicking on a location and then seeing the other photos that have been shot there. But you can't just like look up photographers in this area on Instagram and see them pop yeah. up. And then I feel like some of the other sites like Model Mayhem, I don't even know how many people are like still actively on there that are still shooting. So I feel like that's been phased out a bit or at least in our area. I feel like it was never that good when I was on there. I've heard that it was better in the past. And even my friend that I helped get publications, she travels a lot and she's like, oh, it's really good for jobs. And I've got a lot of like awesome paid gigs from there. And then when she came to visit here, she's like, oh, wow, it just sucks in Seattle compared to everywhere else. Yeah. Back in the day, like when I, I opened my Model Mayhem in 2008 and I didn't 
start booking a lot of stuff until like 2012. But around that time when I started advertising on Model Mayhem for paid work in 2012, it was great. I could fill up an entire trip just from Model Mayhem. And now it's like you have to share contacts with other models or like use Facebook groups and Instagram and like email marketing. And you have to do like 10 different things to try to fill up your trip instead of just being able to use one platform. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, the best ways I've gotten gigs is actually doing a trade shoot or an open group shoot or style dye shoot and then meeting photographers from that and then they like me so much that they hire me for projects outside of where I met them from. Well, that's good to hear. I had always kind of run on the assumption that people that are joining those big group TFP shoots are generally only wanting to shoot TFP. There's a mix. There's people that only shoot TFP, and then there's people that are willing to pay for models and pay for studio space. And even some shoots I'll do, if it's at a really cool location, and they're paying for the location, I'm like, okay, it's TFP, but I'm not having to pay the studio fee, and it's a studio I want to work at, so it's okay. Cool. Yeah, maybe I should do that more. I should. I mean, it's fun to be a part of a community event, and I've done a lot of those in the past, but I have kind of just mostly been on my little, like, tiny traveling island for the last several years. <laughs> yeah, I think the big thing is knowing who you want to work with ahead of time. Usually when I have attended events like that, with the style that I shoot aside, because those are kind of different because you're being booked to do a concept, and it's kind of like the photographers are rotating around each person But when I've done open shoots, I always check with who's going ahead of time and make sure that I schedule times and meeting places with them. So that way I actually am getting work that I know I'm going to enjoy or reaching out to people that I like working with, asking if they're going to go to this event. So that way there's not free time necessarily for sketchy people to work with me because unfortunately sketchy people do show up to those things as well. Yeah, yeah. That is a really good piece of advice because you're right. If especially if it's like an open invitation, like they they don't always they're not able to like screen. Yeah, for- and you want to make sure that you are getting something out of it and that it is worth your time. So making sure that you're kind of vetting who's going and who you want to work with ahead of time is a really good piece of advice for people that know what they want and if they already have existing relationships with people. So you're not just like hanging around because usually if you're hanging around, the photographers that are also hanging around are the ones that aren't as skilled and that's why no one's working with them. Uh Uh-huh. I see. That makes sense. I mean, that's really good insight for people that, especially like newer models coming into the community that want to go to these group events to get networked. That's really good advice. I I hadn't even thought I guess I haven't gone to one of these in such a long time. And some of the ones that I've done in the past were structured in a way where they like have a schedule where everybody is shooting with everybody. Yeah. I I like ones that have a little bit more autonomy of who you can work with and what you want to bring as well. Like I said, there's some that are specific themes and there's themes that don't necessarily align with my aesthetic and what I want my modeling to be. So I don't necessarily attend those ones. I don't do a lot of cosplay stuff, but if there's ones where there's like a artistic side or I've have done a few boudoir ones, those were fun, but also 
a little scary because again, like, oh, there could be sketchy people or people that aren't as tasteful with their boudoir and implied work that I don't necessarily want them taking photos of me in that state because it's one thing having bad photos of you wearing clothes, but having bad photos of you not wearing clothes or not wearing as many clothes isn't the best, especially when you're at this point in your career. Although I do think that models that are starting now and even like in the past like couple years, there's way more resources. There's model safety groups. There's different social medias where you can connect with people and get those resources and those tips to where they're hopefully not working with as many bad photographers or as many photographers that they don't necessarily want to work with because they didn't know what they were going to be like because there wasn't the platforms to view their work and vet them. True that. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, when I first started, there wasn't like Facebook groups for models to help each other out or anything like that. We all just kind of had to learn the hard way. But things are improving. Um, It's never going to be perfect because every day a new aspiring model turns 18. And then I guess sometimes even before they turn 18, like predators are somehow able to find them and it can be disheartening, but it's great that we're finally more of a community and less like a bunch of independent, competitive people. Yeah. And there still is always in a a way going to be that sense of competitiveness, especially with people that try to gatekeep certain clients or certain spaces of, oh, well, I'm not going to share my contact with them or I'm not going to recommend them to you because I don't want to share them. I have run into that a bit, but Usually most people are really nice about sharing their experience with someone or actually a few weeks ago was sharing a new model's portfolio with a photographer that I really enjoy working with. And now they're going to be doing a shoot in the future. Cool. And she's really excited because it's a really good photographer. And she's like, oh my gosh, I've only done two shoots. And now I have this opportunity to work with someone really amazing. Thanks to you. And I'm like, oh, like, it's no big deal. Like you deserve to have good photos of yourself and have your confidence built up after a shoot. I feel like working with bad photographers and seeing bad photos of yourself does the opposite of confidence building because then you get insecure and you're like, is that how I look? Ooh, oh my god, <laughs> you're right. And like to anybody that's listening, that's a photographer. Like, don't take it personally, but a good photo of you can make you feel really good about yourself. But a bad photo of you could give you a fucking eating disorder, like, or or just body dysmorphia. Editing too. That's something that people don't necessarily realize that aren't in the industry. I feel that being edited a certain way could lead to dysmorphia, whether it's someone making your waist smaller or making your boobs bigger. I don't have a large chest, so I've had a few photos that I've gotten back and I'm like, that's not my chest. What happened? That's happened to me also. (laughs) Yeah, recently the latest was I had AI boobs put on me and you can (laughs) tell that they're AI because it doesn't even match my skin tone. Oh my God. You can do that. They can do that. Apparently, I don't know anything about the AI. The AI stuff kind of creeps me out a little bit. I So I know that, I guess I have heard that there's some app that you can take anybody's picture and then AI remove their clothes so you can have fake nudes of them. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> they can do that. That doesn't shock me. I've seen the ones where it's like AI singing where they're having someone uh 
sing or cover another artist's song. And then apparently there's scams going around now where they're AI bot calling people and talking in voices that sound similar to their relatives. Oh, oh my God, really? I, oh, I think it was a news station and it popped up on my Facebook that someone had shared and it was an older gentleman and he got a call and it sounded like his daughter and she was like, help me, help me. I need help. I'm at this location. (gasps) But it wasn't from her phone number because it was a AI bot call And so then he called her asking if she was okay. And she's like, what are you talking about? (gasps) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so crazy. I didn't even know that. I mean, obviously, scammers are always ahead of the curve, right? Yep. And the the robots are slowly taking over. It's going to turn into Blade Runner. And next thing you know, you're not going to know if your model is real or a robot. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Things are getting weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a love-hate with technology. There's been so much that has been improved and made easier with it, but there's been a lot of stuff that has gotten scarier and just feeling like you don't know what to trust and what's real. Yeah, it's almost like there can't... I have heard that there are AI, like, social media models, and they have their own OnlyFans, and they have Instagram, and it's getting better and better technology to where it's more realistic and more believable. So at a certain point, like, your true fans are people that know for a fact that you actually exist in real life. But, like, why would it matter if you're, like, a fan of somebody online, if they're fake or real, if you're never going to meet them in real life anyway? Yeah, I think the big one is the... I think it was Nike or Adidas. It was one of those types of companies and they had used a AI model to model their clothes. And there was a lot of backlash from it because they were using an AI design that looked like a person of color. And those models are already in a minority and have a hard time getting work compared to what people think as the stereotype. And the fact that that job was being taken away from a real model that could have modeled it and they were having it be an AI person opposed to a real model that probably would have really appreciated that gig. Like, how much are they really profiting by not hiring a model? Like, come on, Nike. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure that the, the AI being used by big companies is a lot more pricey and time-consuming than the AIs by hobby photographers. Yeah. It is a strange world right now. We're all just out here trying to create stuff in real life, and then AI can do it at the snap of a finger. But Yeah, I think the hardest one was seeing all these AI locations that were Urbex-inspired. And I saw a few where they had made it look like the model was in this AI abandoned house. And I'm like, wow, that location's so cool. And then I find out it's not even real. And I'm like, I'm over here risking my life, finding dead dogs to go to abandoned places. And then these people are able to just AI put someone there on the computer. But there is something cool about actually being in those locations in real life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I posted something once saying that one of my bucket list locations was to do artistic nudes in a cave. And somebody on Instagram messaged me and they were like, well, I can Photoshop you into a cave. And I'm like, but that's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you can get you can be photoshopped on the moon. It's not the same as going there, right? Like if you're there, it's a complete. Like you get the experience of being there plus the photos. 
to prove it. I suppose nowadays you have to be taking behind the scenes video in order for people to believe that it really happened. Yeah. Also, there's something said about being on location, whether it's somewhere in nature or urbex, where it's just inspiring. I'm really inspired by architecture and landscapes. And so when I'm there, it, it pushes me to be a better model. Cause it, like the location yeah. I'm at is in a way like already modeling on its own. I'm like, oh, it's already beautiful and cool. Even if I'm not here. Yeah. And it kind of pushes yeah. me to be better. Yeah. So there, there's like a feeling and a vibe and like being there rather than just like having a studio shot and then superimposing it anywhere. Yeah. In a weird, weird way, I always thought that studio photos, especially like the blank white paper white wall it's it almost feels harder and more work for me because I'm having to pull all this stuff out of my butt and there's not that inspiration (laughs) that there would be if I was like in the forest or at a cool place with awesome architecture I'm having to come up with these concepts and poses without any inspiration that I can see visually in the space true I've got a question for you that I have also asked everybody else on the show I call it the rising phoenix era of your life. Can you describe a situation, and this could be related to your modeling or not, you get to choose, a situation where you were faced with some kind of a challenge that you had to overcome, whether it was a career challenge or a personal development challenge? So for me, it would be losing myself and then finding myself again. And I've actually experienced this quite a few times. And it's something I know I'm going to experience more times in my life. And it's funny because the first time I experienced it is actually what drew me into modeling. When I was a competitive figure skater, and I was actually forced to retire because I was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of multiple sclerosis. Oh, And I had to start chemo and steroid infusions at the cancer center for the disease when I was 17. And oh so, God. yeah, so it was really intense and I, my body just couldn't keep up with skating anymore. And it was something that I had done for most of my life at that point. I think I, I skated for 12 or 13 years until I became diagnosed and I was just missing that creative outlet. I had an identity crisis because something that had been my life, my identity wasn't anymore and I didn't know what to do. So then I found that in modeling And then after I left that agency, I developed a relationship with a photographer and we became very close very fast. And there was kind of that blurred lines of boundaries because they were my friend almost in a family sense. And so a lot of those professional lines were crossed because I saw them as that. And the relationship ended up turning very toxic and They were kind of possessive of me. I would have to ask for permission before I worked with other people outside of them because they only wanted me exclusively working with them. I kind of lost a sense of myself because when that ended, they went as far as contacting every magazine I had been published in in every brand I've ever worked with and was telling these people that every photo of me, they were the rightful owner of, including photos that they did not take. What? Yes. So I felt like I didn't have ownership of myself. And then even a little before this relationship kind of came crumbling down, it was starting to get a little weird. They started finding models that would look like me and they would have them recreate photos of me 
wearing my clothes because I had clothes that I had like left at this photographer's house and they were putting people that look like me in my clothes. And I mean, yeah, so that was kind of weird. I mean, models are used to being imitated and having their stuff recreated and like, yeah, imitation is a form of flattery. Sometimes it kind of pisses you off, but having someone imitate you while wearing the dress that you wore to your friend's brother's wedding was kind of weird. And I didn't like that. That's next level. That's that is extra. I would feel really weird about that also. No, it gets even weirder because so this was like two years after the whole incident happened. And I had since blocked this photographer and they're not doing photography anymore. But this girl that I went to high school with sent me screenshots of an ad that popped up for a tattoo artist and it was their flashes and they were me this person is tattooing my face on people <laughs> like down what? to like an exact freckle that I have on my cheek. Whoa. And so it was kind of like really creepy and really weird of feeling like, oh my gosh, who I am as a person is not only being recreated on people, but now my face is being advertised as an option for someone to get a tattoo of me without my consent. And just feeling like I have no autonomy of myself and I can be, in a sense, reproduced or recreated. It's something that I've had to really fight with because I get a lot of anxiety from it. Even when I see photos of people that look similar to me or with a similar aesthetic, I kind of get stressed out about it. Like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to be replaced? Am I nothing? And having no sense of who I am. And I think finding myself through especially abandoned house photography was something that really helped me like realize who I was as a person and as an artist. And then my mental health was really bad during this time. And I felt like the decay of these houses kind of reflected how I was feeling. So it felt very at home. Yeah, I can vibe with that too. And I've actually talked to other people who feel that they love the abandoned building like creative process because it also matches something that they feel within them in the environment. Yeah, something about everything just falling apart and the mold growing. I'm like, yep, this is my life, but this is me overcoming it by creating beautiful art in a said location. Yeah, I love that. that. That's a very interesting Rising Phoenix story where you've had to sort of pick yourself up out of the ashes multiple different times in different ways. Yeah. And I I think finding yourself is something that we never stop doing. I feel like I'm probably going to be in my 80s and continuing to find myself and lose myself in a sense. But it's definitely been something that I continue to work on and try to take ownership of. Yeah. And I think that everything that you've described to me so far has actually really emulated that. Like Especially earlier in the podcast, we were talking about how you have dabbled in various genres and different types of shoots and found out what you like that makes you feel good and empowers you creatively and doing more of those types of good shoots and not the ones that kind of drag you down or suck your energy out. So I think that's really great. And I think that, you know, that's really a good lesson that a lot of people can like, like I said earlier, take notes on. Yeah. And it's one thing to be a character and to, pretend to be something else. But I feel like even when I am doing that, I always want to bring a sense of myself 
and I don't want to be fake. I want to be authentic in everything I do, every concept that I do, every shoot that I do. I want to be able to look at the photos and be like, yep, that's me being me in the photo. It's not me pretending to be someone else. Yeah. And a lot of photographers will have an idea and they might think like, oh, well, if you're the model, you should be a complete chameleon and I should be able to mold you into whatever I want you to. And I guess some people are into that being completely chameleon, but in a sense, it's like, well, that's totally not me. And I would never do that in real life. So why would I want to be depicted in that way? Yeah. And there's a sense where you can still be a chameleon. You can still fit the concept while still being yourself and being authentic to your values and how you want to be perceived. But I know that there are some people out there that like that micromanaging of like, no, we want you to do this. We want you to wear this. Yeah. True that. Yeah. The micromanaging is, I have felt annoyance at that also, especially, especially with posing hands, because I understand that there are, there is a way to pose your hands and a way to not pose your hands. But there's also other people's perception of how they think your hands are supposed to look that's not actually natural to you, but they think that it's supposed to look more natural or more relaxed. And then over managing the tiny angles of your pinky finger, like that can ruin the vibe of a shoot by itself. (laughs) Yeah. And then I've had people tell me like, oh, don't be putting too much pressure on your wrist where you're putting, and I'm like holding all of my body weight on my hands because of the pose I'm doing. And I'm like, I have to put pressure on my wrists. Otherwise (laughs) I will not be in this pose. Or I do some contortion stuff as well. And one time someone was upset that there was like rolls in my back and I'm like, I'm bending in half. My feet are touching my head. There's no way to not have quote unquote rolls on my back. Yeah, edit it out if it really bothers you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, other models aren't necessarily bending themselves in half. Yeah, you yeah. Bend don't, your body don't, like that, like the skin bends. <laughs> don't hire a contortionist if you can't handle the bends. <laughs> yeah, so o- over time I've realized that when I do poses like that, it does look better when I'm wearing more clothes. Or if I am wearing lingerie, that there's a certain angle, but... People don't necessarily like it when the model is telling them where they need to stand to photograph a certain pose. But I'm like, no, just trust me. Like, this will look way better and you will not be upset with the rolls in my back if you stand there and shoot me this way. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show. I wanted to ask if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about before we go. Um, I think just reiterating to the models listening and to the photographers too, regardless of whether you're just starting out or if you've been in the industry for a while, that it's just really important to stay true to yourself. And even when your art is feeling kind of like a chore or like you're getting further away from what you want to do, that it's okay to take a break and reprioritize and find yourself Because I think if you really do love the art and being in the community, you'll find yourself back to that and back to what makes you happy. Heck yeah. Sound advice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jade, for taking the time to be on show with me. I'm really happy that you contacted me because I've had a really good time getting to know you and talking more about freelance modeling with you on the show. Yeah, it's been really great. I hope that we can meet together in person and continue our conversations. Yeah, yeah. I'll hit you up as I'm arriving in December. Awesome. Sounds great. I look forward to it. 
Sweet. All right. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thank you so much, Christy. And thank you to everyone listening.